0: Jadis welcome to my show America can we talk today we're going to talk about the January 6th committee and Ray Epps and Governor Whitmer Sam Faddis joins us to talk Kazakhstan and the minority report in America Debbie dishes a filibuster fight uh, and COVID contradictions compounded and of course I'll tell you why these stories matter to you stay tuned I am
1: America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello
0: again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. Yesterday on our show, I played a clip that was a brief little exchange between US Senator Ted Cruz and an individual who was representing the Department of Justice, the FBI, in this a Senate hearing in which Ted Cruz was essentially saying, was the FBI in any way involved on January 6th? FBI in any way involved in the actions of that day, on the um, you know, what uh, occurred, were people involved, asked a bunch of questions. Each time the response of the person who was being questioned under oath was, I cannot comment on that. I can't comment. I don't know. I can't comment. And so, uh, the, by, by the way, her name was, she's the um, FBI National Security Branch. Uh, she's the S- Executive Assistant Director of the FBI's National Security Branch named Jill Stanborn. Since that played on my show and obviously around the country on many people's shows and just people watching what happened, there has been an effort by the January 6th committee, to put to bed the idea that Ray Epps this person who was caught on camera uh during the on, actually on jan- January 5th and on January 6th urging people to enter the Capitol and this is why there was a question by um uh why there was a question by Ted Cruz is what in the world um did uh w- went on with Ray Epps how how was it that he was on the FBI's you know, to be questioned list wanted a list and all of a sudden went away Obviously on camera, caught him urging people to go enter the Capitol. So much suspicion about the FBI. Ted Kennedy, asked, I mean Ted Cruz, asks, and you get this answer from the FBI: no, no way, no way. Well, what's happened since then? Because there's a great deal of conversation about whether or not there was FBI involvement on the January 6th um, events in the in the Capitol. There has been a very concerted effort by the January 6th Committee, the House Committee that's doing this investigation. And every single left-wing media outlet in the country, they have their marching orders. If you Google, which you should not do, but if you use Google and try to find out who was Ray Epps, the entire first page and probably more of entries are all different uh, left-wing media sources saying, "Oh, crazy conspiracy theory," uh, you know, right-wing lunatics, right-wing lunacy, right-wing extremists. This is not true. This is another false flag. Another. I mean, it is the effort to just demean the idea that there was a legitimate question, uh, not just about Ray Epps, but about whether or not the FBI was involved in any way on the January 6th um, e- events at the US Capitol. So why I wanna talk about today in this first five is this. There is, in this country, not just suspicion about Ray Epps or oh, just about January 6, but a truly deepening uh, and, and very alarming lack of respect lack of lack of trust in the american people for the fbi and the department of justice and this is because not just because of what happened on january 6 but was because we had three years of the fbi and doj continuing to perpetuate and lead america along on a completely true false flag operation which was a trump russia collusion hoax you had the fbi And the DOJ. Now we know early on, well aware that there was no, there's nothing to it, no meat, no substance. But the Trump-Russia collusion hoax dominated the media for three years of President Trump's four-year presidency, uh, cast cloud on him, and no one still to this day, we've not had one person from the FBI or the Department of Justice step up and say, you know what? we were out of line we took it too far we should have stepped back we were we were out of line to continue perpetuating this myth this hoax that there was any validity to the trump russia collusion they never did that and and that alone makes many conservatives greatly doubt what is what the uh, fbi does and many other and many other issues too because they never came clean on their entire uh, conduct with respect to the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Other examples, uh, the FBI, DOJ uh, have lost America's um, trust, and, and rightfully so. So yeah, a lot of people are asking. I do want to call your attention though to a column that was in the, um, uh, written by the, one of the just um, completely wonderful writers, Julie Kelly, at American Greatness. And she makes this point she's kind of talking about the january 6th thing like why is it that january 6th there's so many questions we can't seem to get answers and she's actually making an analogy to what the america did uh, seems to be watching right now with respect to the whole big story about how there was an allegedly a right-wing uh, plotted attempt uh, plan kind of cooked up to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer. And you may recall there was an indictment late in fall of 2020 and these right-wing people were uh, planning to kidnap Governor Whitmer because they didn't like her and she's a conservative. And what has now transpired, what Julie Kelly is pointing out, is the entire case is gone from the media just gone. No, no one is tweeting about it, even those prolific left-wing tweeters. They're not writing in their journal, they're in their periodicals. They're not writing stories online. They're not tweeting about it because it has become very obvious to the lawyers defending the accused in that case that this was an FBI operation. More FBI officers involved in this, alleged, you know, undercover, involved in this alleged uh, plan to kidnap Whitmer, uh, then there were innocent saps who have now been accused of, um, of being part of the conspiracy. And she does a great job in her column recounting, you know, this is the lawyers for these people who were accused of this kidnap plot are pointing out the FBI cooked up the whole thing. These FBI undercover people cooked up the whole thing, talked them into it, lured them along. There never would have happened but for the conduct of the federal government. So, this is a great example to remind yourself if you think the FBI would be some, you know, should just is above reproach, above question with respect to January 6th, ask why they did what they did on Jan- uh, on the, uh, with respect to the Governor uh, Whitmer non-plot to engage in her kidnapping. I mean, they just, the media went along with it, they went along with it as long as they could, and they suddenly realized as the lawyers got a hold of the case and lawyers are looking at uh, the questions that were being asked about their own, their accused, and, their, and the, all of a sudden, all, everyone on the American left, the anti-American media, um, the, the left-wing media in this country are just dropping that because they realize all it does is make the FBI look bad. And, as she points out in her column, it also causes more people to agree that we should be questioning more more deeply, more thoroughly, the question of the FBI's role on January 6th. And I gotta tell you, the January 6th committee put out a statement, Adam Adam Kinzinger, the non-Republican who sits on that January 6th committee, have put out statements saying, we thoroughly investigated, we, we, we know who Mr. Epps is, we talked to him, we investigated him, we've already questioned him, nothing to see there, he said a few bad things, you know, all I did was talk, that's okay. I do want to close the first five by saying this, what this guy Epps was saying was urging people to break into the Capitol. That's what he was saying. And his language was about the Constitution. we got to stand up. we got to fight. We are not going to put up with this. It was very, very uh, insurrectionist-like. So if he's not guilty of anything like incitement or insurrection because all he did was talk about the unfairness of the election, and talking about the need for the Constitution to be uh, supported, then what exactly is the mission of the January 6th commission as to President Trump? President Trump on that day urged the followers at the crowd to peaceably go, uh, go to the, in fact, I'll tell you the language he said. He said, I know there'll be those who are marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That's what Trump said. If Ray Epps is not guilty of anything, even though he was urging, break in the Capitol. And he was very violent in his in his tone and demeanor on January 5th and January 6th, and yet somehow President Trump cannot urge his own followers to go to the Capitol and peaceably protest. Folks, the people in January 6th commission are acknowledging they're not really about getting to truth or applying an even standard of law. They're trying to find a way, the entire January 6th committee operation is simply an attempt to demean President Trump to cause his supporters to stand back from him, to keep him out of politics in the future. I'm not particularly urging that President Trump should run for president again, at all. I'm just saying the January 6th commission is a is a ludicrous hoax. It is designed, it's a political weapon being used to cudgel and pummel President Trump and his followers, and they are not to be honored or taken seriously. I'm glad Jim Jordan and others are refusing to, co- to uh, cooperate with them, because this is just another uh, left-wing witch hunt, as was the entire Trump-Russia collusion. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So we have joining us a gentleman who's joined us in the past. I want to give him a, a really proper introduction before we get into, we're going to talk about Kazakhstan, um, but I want to give him a very thorough uh, introduction uh, that he really deserves. So uh, Sam Faddis, or full name Charles Sam Faddis, um, he is a senior partner at Artemis LLC, But the reason we're talking to him today is he's a former CIA operations officer with 30 years of experience in the conduct of intelligence operations in the Middle East, South Asia, and Europe. On his last assignment, and this is a very cool thing, his last assignment prior to retirement in May of 2008 was as head of the CIA's terrorist weapons of mass destruction unit. He took the first CIA team into Iraq in the summer of 2002 in advance of the invasion of that country, has worked extensively in the field with law enforcement, local security forces, special operations teams. Since his retirement, he has written extensively, provided training to a wide variety of people, He does a great deal of serious, substantive media interviews on the the, uh, challenges, the national security challenges America faces. Uh, He's founded or co-founded the online magazine AND, A-N-D, the andmagazine.com, great place to go for serious, substantive uh, discussion of issues facing America. And today we want to talk with him about Kazakhstan and what we've all been watching in the media uh, going on there. So let's welcome Sam Faddis to the show. Hello, sir
1: great to be here thank you good to see you again
0: good to see you sir well you know i have one thing i'm going to show our listeners i know you could do this without any help but you know people read stories about kazakhstan they're saying where is kazakhstan i couldn't even find it on a map so i sent mr becker my happy producer a quick map to put up to show our listeners where it is and for those of you listening on radio go ahead and put it up if you would um on our radio listeners i will just tell you that kazakhstan you didn't get it okay didn't get it never mind about that okay i'll just tell you Kazakhstan. You can't really see the map I have in front of you, but Kazakhstan um, is to the north, is bordered by Russia. To its east, bordered by China. It has it, to its um, southeast. It has. Can I can't even say it right? Uh, Kazakhstan. I don't know. But the, Uzbekistan is is right beneath it, um, and below that is Turkmenistan. So it's right in the middle, near China, Russia, and all of that. And the reason I wanted to say that is, I think the first uh, thing that I want to try to, or I want to get to this point later, I guess, Sam, but, uh, is which about why anyone would possibly care w- about Kazakhstan. But let me start with this. We've been reading in the media that there have been riots and protests in the streets and vi- very violent protests um, in, in, uh, for what reasons, I guess, we're hoping we to find out uh, from you from Kazakhstan, uh, allegedly about gas prices or prices going up. But is there some suspicion among people familiar with that part of the world that this was an instigated riot or is this actually a naturally occurring organic thing in Kazakhstan?
1: Well, uh, like, like in all cases, it's always a little bit of both, right? I mean, Kazakhstan, yes, we got gas prices that went up and specifically, we're not just talking about gasoline, but we're talking about natural gas. So it's the middle of winter and you're talking the dead heart of Central Asia. Um, and it's extremely cold and folks are barely skimping by as it is and natural gas prices have gone up to the point where you literally can't heat your house or cook your food um, and you can't run your vehicles gasoline prices so these are these are not just I went to the store today and I had to buy ground beef as opposed to sirloin steak this is I might not be able to eat today kind of issues with a government that really doesn't enjoy a lot of uh, Domestic support, anyway. It's an unstable area. It doesn't take much to knock it over. Um, so, that, I mean, that's that. That's the basic precondition.
0: Is there a concern? I did read one commentator was there an expressing concern that maybe the Biden administration had been on the ground underneath the uh, radar, trying to urge this, this protest. Is there some suspicion that Biden administration is causing this, or is that not accurate?
1: Well, I think it's entirely possible that there are people out with the State Department saying things that are probably ill-advised. But no, I don't think the Biden administration it, it is behind this. I mean, the Biden administration, if, if anything, is busy sort of retreating all over the world.
0: Okay. So I want to dive in. You had an article in your Anne magazine about the idea that in Kazakhstan, uh, there is a U.S.-funded biolab uh which by itself we need to talk about why that would be and then apparently during this most recent uprising it may have been breached but to start with was this news to you that there was a, a u.s funded biolab in kazakhstan as this story emerged or did you know about it
1: yeah actually incredibly enough when i i, I range over a lot of press including a lot of press from places like iran and, and russia that most people don't read because occasionally you trip across a story that the american press is completely ignoring And um, in the Russian press, I ran across this story and and I thought, what the heck are they talking about? How can there possibly be a US funded lab in Kazakhstan? And as you indicated in your introduction, I have a pretty strong background in working things related to weapons of mass destruction, which includes biological warfare. So it turns out that in fact, for about 20 years, we've been funding work in Kazakhstan. There's a brand new lab there that we opened basically as the pandemic was starting paid for by us and uh, a lot of work with really dangerous diseases that goes on in Kazakhstan for which we are paying at least a large portion of the bills which is kind of mind-boggling when when you think about it right I mean I said that this brand new lab that we just paid for that opened basically was opening as the pandemic was sweeping across the planet, its whole purpose is to play with, and I'm using that term loosely obviously, pathogens that are dangerous to human beings, including things like bubonic plague, but they have specifically also been doing work there, basically just like what they were doing at Wuhan, literally going out collecting bats from caves to collect the coronavirus from them. And two years into this pandemic, we are still paying, US taxpayers are still paying to have this work done in a lab, in a place that is always unstable, where there are any number of terrorist groups active and where lab practices, even on the best day, are gonna be sloppy, you know, and imperfect. It's kind of boggles your mind, actually, I think.
0: Boggles your mind is one thing, it's, it is deeply alarming. I mean, I think that when, just in the most uh, recent days, there's been that story out of Project Veritas, uh, which is really making Anthony Fau- Dr. Fauci appear to have misled the Senate, uh, in which he was saying we had no involvement in the uh, bioweapons lab at the uh, development of uh, coronavirus at the Wuhan lab, and turns out, apparently, we did. So um, is this, I, I mean, you're, I find this mind-blowing, especially in an area, if we are going to be funding any kind of research like this, which is a whole other question, this place, I mean, Kazakhstan is unstable, as you're alluding to. Uh, Anyway, I mean, it's a a dangerous place to be, so I'm shocked that that would be a place they'd choose. So tell us quickly the background of Kazakhstan. Why is Kazakhstan so kind of seemingly unstable?
1: Well, of course, up until the, I mean, Kazakhstan was part of the old USSR, right? All of these Central Asian republics were were basically uh, states or provinces within the USSR. So the USSR breaks up. Kazakhstan um, is a huge, very poor nation out there in the middle of Central Asia. We've got uh, Muslim terrorist organizations. We have corrupt politics. We've got a poor... Uh, populace we have the fact that the Russians despite the fact that Kazakhstan is nominally independent consider it to be sort of a protectorate in fact after the disturbances that you referenced earlier Russian troops were sent in to restore order so it's kind of like their version of a banana republic from the old days if if you will I mean you've just you just have a minefield here filled with problems and and of course the fact that that the fantasy that the bio labs are hermetically sealed and nothing leaks out of them is just that a fantasy. Organisms sneak out of our own labs. You can imagine what the practices are in a place like Kazakhstan. They are going to be very imperfect and you're really not going to be able to guarantee at all that things like the plague aren't spreading out of this lab. It's an insane idea to build it there in the first place. And the fact that two years into a pandemic, we just opened a new lab and are trundling forward and don't see any of the dangers, that really is mind-boggling. You would think somebody on their own would stand up and say, hey, you know what, after Wuhan, we probably ought to stop this.
0: Absolutely, and you make reference in your article, I mean, even when Kazakhstan, uh, you know, unstable as it is, you actually make reference to this in Kazakhstan, the central reference laboratory is situated in an active seismic zone, which means earthquakes, uh, and just outside the city of Almaty, heavily populated, suburban neighborhood and a number of different terrorist groups are active in the surrounding area. I, I just, I, I mean, and this appears to have been worked on. This you're, you're thinking that this lab is a couple years into it. So this was going on even before Biden administration came along, is that right?
1: We've been funding work there in Kazakhstan, apparently for close to 20 years. This particular lab is a brand new lab that opened, you know, just literally as the pandemic was beginning. Which means funding for it, you know, was was appropriated. Who knows when? I mean, it, to me, this is an example of how you have this this unelected fourth branch of government, right? This bureaucracy that just trundles along with no oversight, paying no attention to any elected representatives, doing things that no. Nobody in the United States Congress, I think, would actually stand up and say, hey, you know what? It'd be a really good idea if we funded yet another foreign lab to play with COVID right now. That sounds like something we need. And yet it's going on. And we're not talking small change. We're talking millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars we've put in
0: Yeah, you mentioned your article, we we pumped almost $300 million into lab work in Kazakhstan. I love your point about the uh, fourth branch of government that actually seems to operate almost with no accountability and and actually no transparency. No one's even, or many are unaware what's occurring. I don't know if some congressional oversight committee kind of knew about this, but yeah, this is very, very dangerous stuff. Related to Kazakhstan, and I don't know, I, my, our emails ahead of time, I did not mention I wanted to run into this story, but I do want to ask you, in Kazakhstan, there was an, an intelligence chief who was Hunter Biden's close friend and posed with him in pictures uh, during protests. And he was recently fired as the country, um, fired as the um, Kazakhstan National Security Committee and then arrested. So uh, do you, do you, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't ask you ahead of time, are you to this story and would you want to comment on it?
1: Well, so I'm aware of the story and it's something that we're investigating and I haven't really reached the end of that investigation yet. But I mean, suffice it to say that if if there are nefarious folks scattered around the world, in name a continent, name a country, you will find that Hunter Biden has done business with them and probably taken money from them. That's People are familiar with Ukraine. It is true all across the planet. His operation of you know influence peddling selling access to dad stretched across the globe
0: absolutely it's it and actually this ex-security chief was arrested as as I mean the, the government is cracking down on the protests they've had deaths and and you know they're they're unable I guess to meet the demands of the people to get adequate oil uh, gas and, and you know basic energy they need and so they have protests They have people dying they're trying to repress the protest. They end up uh, cracking down this one guy. Maybe I'll come back to you in that when you've done that investigation because several sources i read were, were talking about very concerned about you know, Hunter Biden's connection. As you say, he's connected with all sorts of nefarious folks around the, country, around the world. Um, this guy that, who was his friend. In fact, there's a picture of him, of Hunter Biden, posing with this uh, gentleman. Um, his name is Massanov, and he was described by Hunter Biden as a good friend has uh, now been arrested uh, based on his conduct over this. It's kind of messy. One other thing I know we have to keep on our time thing. Um, you wrote an article about, um, for our listeners, there was a, a film, there was a Tom Cruise film called Minority Report, and basically in that film they had precogs, those allegedly people who could see the future, and they were arresting people in this movie for things that the precogs told them might happen or would happen. And you made this analogy to that. I actually, what's really odd, I just talked about this movie and this show a couple of days ago, but back to your point, you're talking about this concern that something like the minority report mentality might be developing in America used with respect to artificial intelligence. Can you talk about that?
1: Right. Well, folks may or may not be aware, we've we've gone way down this road of defining sort of anybody who's in opposition to the Biden administration and its policies as being at best borderline domestic violent extremists Um, and we have an entire office in the White House actually which which essentially says that if you are spreading what they classify as misinformation or disinformation obviously they define what that is uh, you are encouraging extremism therefore you are the same as an extremist so in other words Speech and thought is the same as violence now. This is very explicit. Uh, There's a whole focus on this. What we now, and and Homeland Security has stood up an entire office that's working on, focused on mining social media, communications, talk shows like this, everything, looking for indications of violence. So we're not, what we're saying is that speech is actually becoming in terms of the federal government's definition, the equivalent of violence. So if you're speaking and disagreeing with them, you are by definition encouraging violence and therefore you're the same as somebody who's committed a violent act. Now we're stirring into the mix the addition of AI, artificial intelligence. So we are literally going to have, you know, this giant computer brain, artificial intelligence, which will mine all this data. This, by the way, is not fantasy and I didn't think this, you know, you just read the article and read the explicit references that are in there and you'll see that this is laid out in black and white nobody's i'm not connecting dots where they shouldn't be connected the goal is for artificial intelligence to enable them to take you off the street and neutralize you uh, before you commit any act infer any criminal act or even this nece- even form necessarily the intent to commit a criminal act they have simply identified you as someone who will, and therefore that's the same as having done it. If you work out all the implications of that, it's, it's horrifying, it's the end of the republic, it's the end of free speech and, and free thought. I mean, we are already living in a world where if you disagree with whatever Fauci's pronouncement is about coronavirus today, because they change all the time, you are branded as having spread disinformation so that would make you the equivalent of a domestic violent extremist and in the not too distant future that means we can just come arrest you right now
0: sam Faddis, i am so glad that you raised this topic for our listeners if you go to america we link to this article we're talking about now this is an article on and magazine uh, which is andmagazine.com which is sam fattis's website it's called Minority Report Becomes Reality. DHS will arrest you before you commit a crime. It is very similar to what Minority Report the movie was like. And there's even a quote from the Washington Post. I'm only saying that, not that they, they're they so credible, but they are even the left acknowledging, yeah, you know, we need to start watching people and what they think and say, what they talk about, and that they disagree with the government. So even Washington Post acknowledging it. And there was another group that was making this, trying to kind of jump on and justify this idea of using artificial intelligence before the 2024 election. You know, we need this. We need to be doing this uh, to draw a line between data and violence in elections. And so this is actually an apparent um, movement or effort uh, of the left to, um, uh, you know, to say we're not going to wait until we have a protest, even a peaceful protest, if we don't like your views. And I haven't said there will be serious constitutional questions what they could actually arrest you for, for what you say, but you're so right, Sam uh, Fattis, I'm so glad you raised this story, this point, so right about the idea that the government can just say, you know, actually, you wrote some things about the um, coronavirus, or the vaccines, or the election of, uh, you know, of 2020 that are, they may incite people, and so we're just going to have to, in some way, shut you down, um, and so it is, it's a, it is the end of free speech. I can give you about 20 seconds of quick tell us about and magazine and where people can find you understand this, this was way too short but quickly if you would tell us 20 seconds about your uh, work at and magazine and all that you do
1: all right well and is the site and we have myself and a number of other folks with backgrounds in national security mostly writing for it and the whole thesis is to tell the truth and to counter this narrative that's trying to tear us down and divide us and feed us disinformation we're just going to without fear keep telling the truth keep giving you a dose of reality
0: every day thank you so much sam i love your website in fact i get distracted trying to prepare for the show because i'm reading other things that you wrote so thank you so much for joining us that was sam faddis and magazine.com and for our new listeners on writing on radio uh, excuse me Right on radio. I, want, I can't speak English. Right on radio. I want to thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, we're going to a quick break. You're going to be three minutes back. We'll be right back talking to you. I'm right on. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiades. This is America Can We Talk. Our website's AmericaCanWeTalk.org. Talk to you in three minutes. And for our online listeners, I'm going to use this segment to just, I'm calling it, I'm going to use a lot of different names for it, but today I'm calling it Debbie Dishes. And I just want to tell you about the filibuster fight that we are in right now. This is the most really important thing for Americans to understand, and it's a tiny bit of history about it. So, you likely know in the US Senate, there is a procedure where if a bill is brought forward and some either party or individuals do not like the bill, they can engage in a filibuster. That just means they stand up and they just keep talking, and they keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, and in order to stop them from doing that, their talking is delaying the vote on the bill. So the filibuster, they talk, 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 and then eventually they have to get to a cloture vote. Cloture means, it's a C-L-O-T-U-R-E, cloture vote, means you're shutting down the filibuster, but to get to that cloture vote, you need that cloture vote to be succeed to stop the filibuster, you need 60 votes, 6 0. So this bill essentially has been there to protect the minority party. It just basically means that the majority party cannot just jam through bill after bill after bill after bill if there is a sufficient number of people of the other party who will engage in the filibuster and if the party pushing for a bill can't get to that 60 vote cloture goal and the reason this is so important right now is that there are many many democrats who are pushing for the idea that they want to end the filibuster rule they want to make legislation be able to go through in the senate on a straight out majority vote uh just like uh many like they do in other bills and just like they did we now have that for our federal court judges We got rid of the filibuster rule, even for Supreme Court justices. we got rid of the filibuster rule. But for legislation, it still is a rule in the Senate. This bill, this legislation, uh, this filibuster rule came about in in 1917, It's it's not in the Constitution, it's not mandated by law, it is simply a rule of the Senate, Rule 22, adopted in 1917. But right now it is a key battle in the Senate because for God bless him, Joe Manchin will not go along. The Democrat Senator from West Virginia will not go along with ending the filibuster rule. And so the Democrats are stuck because if they can't get him to go along with it, they can't push through all these radical leftist bills they otherwise would like to push through. On the other side, I will say that the Republicans um, are pointing out, you know, Democrats, if you get rid of the filibuster rule, you know, good for you, good for us, because then we, Republicans, get the majority, then we are going to be able to get what we want with a simple majority bill. We're going to benefit from the end of the filibuster rule. And they're pointing out you may not like it very much if you're at the receiving end of this. So that's the battle. Joe Biden's trying to say end the filibuster. Manchin's saying no way, it is a protection of the minority party and ultimately of the American people. So welcome back, our listeners on Brighton Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on America Can We Talk? My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our show is America Can We Talk? You can read all about it and learn about our past shows, interviews, our blog posts at our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And so I wanna to go to our um, our last topic I wanna to hit today. And I gotta tell you, uh, this is a, a most interesting topic. I know you've heard me talk. We've had many, many doctors on the show. We've had experts talking about COVID and the, and the treatments and the, um, and the dangers of the vaccines and the various data that shows death and injury from the vaccines and what's in the vaccines. If you missed our show this past Thursday, I really want to urge you to go watch that on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. We had Dr. Brian Artis on the show. And Dr. Artis happens to be a Dallas-based doctor, but he's a nationally known, in fact, internationally known, very, very outspoken expert talking about the idea that it is just horrifically, uh, it's inexplainable, it's unjustifiable, it's outrageous that at the beginning of our, COVID, our experience in America with COVID, where we had uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, who's you know heads up the uh, NAIAD, saying essentially that based on his review of studies, based on his review of studies, the best and only medication permissible to be administered to COVID patients in hospitals was remdesivir. And he named the studies, he listed the studies. So this doctor, Brian Artis, on my show last week, uh, actually read the studies, which so few of us can do because we can't follow them. We're not medical people. And he is trying to raise the flag of awareness, raise the red flag and say these studies that Dr. Fauci claimed were the reason he forced remdesivir as the only available medication to be used in hospitals. Those studies showed remdesivir was the most deadly the most dangerous, the least effective drug in these studies. That other things being administered to COVID patients, or in the case of the Africa study, being administered to, to uh, patients who had Ebola, they, th- those studies show imbecedere is deadly and dangerous. And yet, it's what Dr. Fauci not only authorized and spoke highly of, but he required. These kind of facts are just a springboard example of what I want to try to talk about in this segment. It is like we live in alternative realities. They're just mind-blowing alternative realities. We still have complete defense by Dr. Fauci and his left-wing, you know, echo chamber in the media saying, Oh, remdesivir, greatness thing going. When the data continue to show it's very dangerous. And we have people on the other side been trying to say from the beginning of our experience with COVID, you know, we actually have Hydroxychloroquine, Ivermectin, Inhaled Budesonide—very, very effective, long, long in place. Patents have lapsed, lapsed. Therefore, they're inexpensive. They're, they're time tested. They're very effective, and they do a beautiful job with co- to help people with COVID. And those doctors are shut down and ignored by. Uh, the medical establishment. And then we had yesterday, we featured on the show, we talked about the Project Veritas latest astonishing announcement to the world where they've gotten their hands on documents from the Department of Defense talking about how in the Department of Defense, they knew as of April of 2020, nearly two years ago, nearly two years ago, they knew in that inside uh, of April 2020, uh, they knew that both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were, in their words, curative of COVID. But we, didn't get, we couldn't get that acknowledgement from Dr. Fauci. We're living in this endless contra- world of contradictions. I wanna point out some more today. So there is a, a top uh, epidemiologist out of Stanford named um, Professor John Yadonis. Um, and he was one of the early ones at, during COVID who was trying to make the point across the country, trying to say, we never, we never, in response to a virus, we never quarantine healthy people. This What we're doing is makes no sense. He's continued to be outspoken, been accurate, been doing studies, try, trying to say, what in the world are we doing? So Professor Adonis has a new um, study out, and I believe I sent, this to uh, a graph to uh, Mr. Becker. This is his study, I just wanna show you this. This is what he's saying is the infection fatality rate from people who, have, uh, who actually become ill. They, they're not just test positive for the virus, but they become ill with COVID-19. This is the fatality rate. The, the fatality rate, overall, just to make something, cl- to say it the positive way, for everyone under 20, if you're under 20 years old, Your COVID survival rate for people under 20 years old is 99.9987%. Think about that, keep that in mind. Your survival rate for under, if you're under 20, is 99.9987%. But this whole chart is showing you, for people who actually, you know, not just test positive for uh, coronavirus, but they actually become ill with the disease COVID-19, this is their survival rate. Look at that, 70 plus. 70 plus, um, meaning a person who's 70 years or older, uh, uh, care at home, a 2.9% survival rate. uh, So it's not even a 3% death rate for people over 70. And everyone over 70, 4.9, meaning that 95, over 95% of people who contract COVID at over age 70 survive. And he's making this point that we have continued to treat COVID-19, the coronavirus, as this fear-inducing, you know, must set aside all protocols, all assumptions of the right to freedom, all freedom of the people to make their own decisions about, uh, about whether to stay home and wear a mask, make their own decisions about whether or not to get a vaccine or not to get a vaccine. We've, we've had tremendous pressure out of the federal government to shut down doctors and medical boards who want to, uh, doctors who want to treat with inhaled budesonide, with ivermectin, with hydroxychloroquine, because these things work, and yet you've had the entire pressure, the medical establishment out of Fauci since the beginning, pressure on medical boards around the country, and those medical boards, in turn, pressure doctors. I know I have friends, personal friends who are doctors who've been called in front of the medical board in their states for prescribing what. The DOD said as of April 2020, they already knew that these, these uh, treatments we've been mentioning, the three I mentioned, budesonide, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, are curative. And yet we have the establishment in this country, medical establishment, pushing back and trying to shut down doctors, punish doctors, fine doctors, threaten them their license being taken away. So I, Udonis, this doctor, I don, Udonis, continues to push, why aren't we looking at the facts? Why aren't we looking at the facts? And so we now have, as we recount on this show many, many times, uh, we have the drugs we've been talking about, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, inhaled budesonide, all have tremendous... Actually, peer reviewed double blind studies showing that they're effective for COVID. So, the people who actually read and think are awake more than ever to the idea there's something very, very strange going on here because these treatments of work work. You saw Dr. Udonis's numbers. The vast majority, overwhelming majority, over 99% of Americans will survive just fine, even if they happen to get. The virus, even if they happen to become ill with COVID-19, and yet we are allowing the entire American population to just float along with whatever is the latest ruling, the latest idea, the latest proposal coming out of the federal government, and, and actually it's seeping its way down. So now you have a New York City, and I believe Chicago, you cannot go to a restaurant, you can't go to public places without a, a vaccine passport. A vaccine passport for something that has the cure rates you just saw. You, I, I, you might think, uh, didn't you just say this yesterday? Yeah, I said this yesterday and a lot of other days too. But I want you to wake up and recognize there's no justification for what is occurring, for the tyranny that continues to flow out of the federal government. This whole notion of we're going to have to shut, maybe shut down airline travel. You know, you can't get on an airplane uh, if you have this, and you must. You know, you must be restrained on whether you can travel. There's talk about actually interfering with even driving travel, like at state lines, they'll stop and check you. Stories mount up, mount up, mount up all the time about new COVID restrictions, when the numbers and the available treatments, there's no justification for what they're doing. But I wanna hit a couple of things that are actually occurring um, around the world and come back to what America should do. So around the world, in Quebec, in Canada, they are now, they have now announced they're going to significantly tax unvaccinated Canadians. They're going to tax you for not getting vaccinated in this context, in the context we've just been talking about, that most people survive, almost everyone survives COVID. And you did have, you recall, we talked about yesterday in the show, we had the head of the CDC, Dr. Walensky, uh, acknowledging, admitting that 75% of the COVID deaths over 75 occurred in people with at least four comorbidities. Healthy people are not contracting and dying from COVID. Yes, there are some who do. Very, very, very few. And frankly, people who probably do not pursue these available remedies early on, like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and hale because they've been scared away from them by the Fauci uh, regime that scares them away from treatments at work and encourage them to go to the hospital, where remdesivir, which has remdesivir, which has a very dangerous um, the studies that where they look at its efficacy, it's a dangerous thing to administer. There are safer remedies. Those people pass on. I'm getting at the point. This is bigger than just a disease, and the question of available treatments, and the use of vaccines. It's a bigger issue than all that. If the issue is the question is. Who has the right in America, who has the right to decide whether or not that you are going to be, have to accept a, uh, a forced injection into your body of something with a horrible record of the CDC's own numbers, the VAERS numbers, horrible record of, of inducing death and injury. Who gets to decide that? Because what Fauci and Biden and the whole left wing... Uh, you know, mob, cabal in Washington are saying is they get to decide for you. You have no more healthcare freedom. Now, they may not, you know, track you down and pin you down and inject the vaccine in you, but they may make your life so completely miserable that you say, okay, I want to get to go to the grocery store. I like to go to the theater. I want to eat at my favorite restaurant. Fine, fine. I'll just take the vaccine. Let me go. I'm here to urge you, do not give in to that idea. Do not think that the best course in America is to say, well, in order to retain my constitutionally guaranteed freedom, in order to retain the freedom that I was promised by the founders of our country, I'm going to accept a vaccine that I know is dangerous. When I, I'm in a category of people unlikely to have any serious problem if I do contract COVID, and then all the and, and, and yet you're gonna say, I'll give up my freedom in order to have, you know, my, I'll give out my freedom to decide my healthcare choices in order to get my freedom and to get to go to the movies or the grocery store or a restaurant, wherever you wanna go. I want you to really think about what the reason is that Fauci and others like him around the world are putting citizens into these kinds of impossible paradoxes, putting us into a box that would say, you're gonna do exactly what we say or you'll never have freedom again. That's what they're saying to you. That's what they're saying. So I'm gonna finish on these other countries that come back to America. So I told you in Canada, they're threatening to significantly tax the unvaccinated. Significantly tax. In Italy, they recently said everybody over age 50 must get a vaccine, period, full stop. No exceptions, no religious exemptions, no health frailty exemptions. Everyone over 50 must do it. It is beyond, beyond absurd, but that is where we are in these other countries. So you have Italy saying that, you have Canada saying that, um, you have many of the Western European countries saying, you know, actually, uh, we are going to push hard. And the UK is very much like this. UK used to be the bastion of freedom, the, you know, the source, of the Magna Carta and the bastion of freedom, man, they are shut down to beat the ban. And vaccinations are, uh, they're not absolutely mandatory for every citizen, but they're very, very much pushed. And, and then in Australia, and we're going to get to the boosters in just a second. In Australia, you know, they had, they have, they've had horrible conduct by the federal government, tyranny, shutting down uh, communities, shutting down workplaces, forcing people to quarantine at home. I mean, all the things they're doing, And they still have had, you know, they've had protests and you never see these. We could do a whole show one day, by the way, just airing all these protests that happen around the world. The left wing media will never report them. They try to make you feel like, oh, everybody else is going along with the vaccines. Oh, you know, you're the only kind of loopy person who's still opposed to the vaccines. They don't tell you what's happening around the world, which are significant, large protests in countries all over the world. But back to Australia, huge protests. And yet, as they move forward, their latest thing they announced is not only that you have to have vaccines to work to go to your job, but they're actually saying all, all people, all employers in Australia must require their employees to get a booster shot. Not the uh, shot one, not shot two, but the booster shot. Must get the booster shot within the next 30 days, next 30 days, or you'll be fired. You can't work without getting shot one, shot two, boosters. And this comes on the heels of, and I want to point out something huge, huge about the boosters. The World Health Organization, you know, big pusher of all things uh, vaccine related and all uh, fear mongering about COVID to beat the ban. The, uh, uh, you know, so funny, call them who. The WHO, the World Health Organization, has now finally said about COVID vaccines that they, and I want you to listen, these are their words. A vaccination strategy based on repeated booster doses of the original vaccine composition is unlikely to be appropriate or sustainable. They're admitting that the boosters don't help. They're admitting that the boosters do not not protect people; they they aren't effective. Couple of that with the fact that the three vaccine manufacturers in America, the vaccines most people have had, if you've had the vaccines, two of those companies have said their vaccine is only really effective for six months. Six months. So you're going to be back six months later getting a booster or some other vaccine they had developed to deal with some new, you know, iteration or mutation of the virus. And the other, the third company. there are vaccines only effective for two months i want you to start to see the regime you're just going to start to live under unless you protest unless you say no unless you just say no and that is for the rest of your life on earth you will be told by our government and governments around the world you're going to get this vaccine and then we'll tell you when your next one must come and you're gonna go get the next vaccine, and maybe two shots at that one, and maybe you're gonna get after that the booster, and you, you won't have any freedom unless you do that. Now I tell you, there are people who are still, because they don't read, they don't learn, they listen, they just hang on to Fauci's every word, and don't read or learn anything else, who think, I don't care, I mean, if Fauci says, a shot every six months, fine with me. I don't care if he says every two months. What do I care? You know, and Because they have falsely bought into the, the fear-mongering that caused them to believe that the COVID was as dangerous as, uh, as they were trying to claim, and it isn't. If you look at the numbers from Dr. Udonis and other numbers around the country, most people survive just fine, even if they contract, even if they become ill with COVID-19. But these people who want to hang on to Dr. Fauci's every word and then wait to be told next what to do, which is what some category of people is in America. I actually think it's a dwindling category. I think there are more and more people waking up to kind of a, hey, wait a minute moment, a, hey, wait a minute, this cannot be right. This cannot be that we're gonna have vaccine after vaccine after vaccine after booster, and every time a new iteration comes along and a new uh, mutation, uh, or the vaccine is announced as having been uh, perfected and even better, or the past vaccine efficacy has now lapsed, that we're just gonna stand in line for vaccines the rest of our lives. Now, there are some people who would do that. I think it's an increasingly smaller number. I actually think more and more Americans are waking up to saying what in the world is going on. So I mentioned what's happening in Italy, I mentioned Western Europe, I mentioned Canada, I mentioned Australia. So come back right here to um, America. Okay, let me finish on the World Health Organization, by the way. Um, they're they saying, to understand clearly, they're saying the boosters don't work. The boosters, if they keep boosting you with the same vaccine you already took, that's not gonna work. But what they are saying is that they're they're now promising or demanding vaccines based on whatever the dominant SARS-CoV-2 strain is at the moment. So World Health Organization isn't saying, forget about vaccines, they're saying, we gotta have new ones all the time, new vaccines, new vaccines all the time. and And every time there's a new strain, we're gonna go do that. Now I wanna make a few points really, really clear especially to my new listeners on End Radio, because I know you don't know me yet, and I want to tell you a few things I think are really important. I believe in healthcare freedom. I believe it's the right of every individual to decide whether he or she wants a vaccine. I believe in transparency on the part of the federal government, the CDC, the FDA, Dr. Fauci. I think Americans are entitled to know the full truth, the accurate truth about the vaccines. They're entitled to not have the government lie to you, as Fauci did, about hydroxychloroquine and about uh, ivermectin and about inhaled budesonide. You're entitled to truth from the government and you're entitled as a private citizen to say, you know what, I listened to everything, I wanna get the vaccine. I am not against the idea of you taking the vaccine. I'm against the tyranny that has become the norm in America out of the medical establishment in Washington DC, flat out tyranny telling people you must be permanently, perpetually afraid. You just wait to be told what to do next. And I gotta tell you something else about uh, what America stands for in this world. Okay, before I get to that, also, the Biden administration, even despite all of the evidence that we've been talking about, all the evidence they have to know, even despite what they now know that the DOD, Department of Defense, has acknowledged that they knew early on that there are very effective treatments, but they couldn't get Fauci to acknowledge that, even now, given all that, the Biden administration, because right now, the Biden mandate that says every employee of an employer with 50, 100 or more employees must get vaccinated. And that's now a case before the Supreme Court. And that's a huge, huge issue for that court to take on. That case before the Supreme Court, even so today is the day that actually those Biden demands, Biden, you know, not from Congress, not the legislative process, not your elected officials listening to evidence from the medical community. This is a Biden- edict, a Biden mandate, a Biden order saying, you're going to get these, your company with 100 more employees, you're going to do it. The Biden administration, even though the case is pending before the Supreme Court, they are, pardon the expression, hell driven to force the vaccines on Americans, that they're now saying they're moving forward with that order, even though the case is now pending before the Supreme Court. I wanted to say this, why I get on this, this issue of COVID so much. There has never been in the history of America a disease which the government has seized on and used as a political weapon to shut down freedom. It's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. They're using the fear they have generated through false numbers, exaggerated numbers. Finally, hearing that truth out of the uh, CDC that they actually there is not nearly the threat to healthy people that they tried to claim there was, um, and that I mean just all sorts of data pouring out. And the CDC has promised they're going to bring up shortly. They're going to actually raise the question of, you know, how many people that have been categorized as COVID deaths were deaths with COVID, you happen to have COVID, but die of something else versus deaths from COVID, caused by COVID. Huge, huge thing they're going to have to reveal about that shortly. I just want you to know the world needs the American people to be leaders. The world needs the American people to show the world what it looks like to stand up for freedom. That's what Americans need to do. We need to be the ones in the world that other countries look at and say, look at America. They're standing up and the government's finally backing down. The people in Australia and Canada and Italy and all over Western Europe and the UK and New Zealand, they're looking to America to show that we are leaders and we need to step up and be the leaders and stand up for freedom. I'm not saying stand up against vaccines, stand up against mandates, stand up against your freedom being threatened because of a virus, because the government's saying you have to do what we do to solve this virus problem or else you're toast. Folks, for our happy listeners on radio, I wanna say thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad to get to talk to you every day. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk? The website is americacanwetalk.org. I urge you to go to our website, tune in, find out more about the show, the interviews, all on the website, and I will talk to you again tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time. As for the rest of our listeners, our online listeners, um, I close out the show each day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show talking about the January 6th Committee and Ray Epps and Governor Whitmer and why it matters to you. So, Beltway politicians have no idea how much trust in the institutions has been destroyed. Americans know the Russia collusion hoax was ginned up by the federal government and the Clintons. Cruz, Sanborn exchange, I can't answer that question, does not go unnoticed. The January 6th committee denial of Ray Epps as an FBI informant does not ring true. When did they interview him? Where is the transcript of the interview? If Epps said and did on video on January 5th and 6th is not chargeable, Trump's words encouraging peaceful protests can't possibly be actionable. Disappearance of the Witner kidnapped from the headlines, evidence shows it was a federal setup and nobody on the anti-American left wants the American people thinking about uh, what they, what the FBI did to the, in the Whitmer case, and that helps them recognize what they're doing in this case of January 6th. Loss of trust can never be repaired by more lies. Until there's a watershed moment that reaffirms truth-telling as a real virtue, mistrust of the ruling class and their media will only grow. And on Debbie Dishes, what I did for our online listeners, um, filibuster rule effectively requires 60 votes to get a vote to the Senate floor. It's not in the Constitution, but designed to temper power grabs by a narrow majority. McConnell warns Democrats of sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander, GOP control in 22. Uh, Larger reality, the filibuster rule protects moderates of both parties from having to publicly cast votes on matters where they disagree with their party's base. Examples, Democrat moderates don't want to vote for federalizing elections, so they rely on the GOP use of filibuster to blame the GOP for no vote being allowed while they're hiding their own opposition. GOP moderates may not want to vote for aggressive bans on abortion, so they rely on Democrat use of filibuster to blame the Democrats for no vote being allowed while hiding their own opposition. Despite Schumer's grandstanding, filibuster rule is likely to stay intact and on COVID contradictions compounded. Vaccines do not prevent catching or transmitting COVID now confirmed by the CDC. CDC now says over 75% of deaths involve patients with at least four comorbidities. What about the percentage of deaths of people with no comorbidities? CDC should tell America. Stanford doctor's study shows COVID recovery rate for those under 20 is 99.9987%. Why on earth would any government mandate vaccination for those in that age? And they are doing it in California for young children. VARES data continues to show unprecedented deaths and in adverse effects vaccines, yet by the administration continues with mandates, is setting up vaccine database. Quebec intends to tax the vaccinated. Australia has mandated boosters. The informed are waking up. Government lockdowns and mandates make no medical sense. The world needs the American people to lead the way to stand up for freedom. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
1: I can you hear us now? America can we talk? Truth about America.